The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we are joined by John Lindsay. John Lindsay returned to aviation following an 18-year hiatus. On the verge of completing his PPL in 2000, John's education path led him away from flying. He went on to college to become a paramedic and has spent the last 18 years working as an advanced care paramedic and in various supervisory and management roles. Over the years, John's interest in flying never waned. In 2018, he returned to aviation and has since earned his PPL, seaplane rating, and night rating. With a little bit of luck, he will soon have passed his CPL flight test as well. John is actively working towards flying as a career, despite the current challenges COVID-19 has brought to the aviation industry. A member of the LGBTQ community, John has become active with organizations like NGPA, the largest organization of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender aviation professionals and enthusiasts from across the world. He currently serves as co-leader of the NGPA Canada chapter. I am so excited to have him join me today. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me, Lauren. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. All that to say, how did you get your start in aviation? Uh, I have been around aviation my entire life. I am uh, lucky to be able to say that my uh, father is a pilot. He um, began his career as a, a police officer and then had a bit of a career change Um in his uh, mid-20s and uh, became an airline pilot. And uh, in addition to that, he also uh, had a little Cessna. So I've been, I've been around airplanes and aviation for a long time. Um, when I was in high school, I uh, had the opportunity to do my grade 10 co-op at the local airport. So I was a, a rampy and uh, learned to fuel airplanes and clean them and move them around. So that's that's kind of how I got my start. Uh, I then took lessons at that same flight school that I was working at while I was in high school um, and uh, was doing quite well and got a, f- a fair ways along. I, In fact, I, I had even passed my private pilot flight test. Um, and, uh, and then I went off to university and I didn't finish the written exam and I hadn't done the long solo cross country. So um, that sort of put a um, hold on my uh, aviation career at that point. So, um, yeah, that's how I started. I, I then went off uh, to Ryerson University, uh, spent a year there before deciding uh, that that program wasn't for me, and then uh, back to school the following year to become a paramedic. So I've been a paramedic for the past 18 years. Uh, I'm an advanced care paramedic and a uh, uh, supervisor uh, right now. And um, a couple of years ago, I decided that I wanted to get back into flying. So in 2018, I started taking uh, lessons again. And uh, and then in 2019, I, I finally finished my private pilot's license at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was quite the accomplishment 18 years later. Now, I don't know if you hold the record for maybe the longest interval <laughs> between flight po- and written exam. It's possible. <laughs> With that, what was it like when you finally wrote your PPL exam? Uh, so I made a point of writing the PPL exam 
as soon as I could, once I started getting back into it, I didn't want to repeat of the previous round. So, um, you know what, it, it, it was good. I ended up doing an online ground school. Uh, I found it, uh, it worked for me in my schedule. Uh, I didn't have to drive into the airport, into the flight school. Uh, so it, it, it worked for me. It might not be for everybody, um, but uh, with all of the online learning uh, that we're all doing now, uh, it, it's, it, I think anybody could pick it up pretty easily online. Uh, I enjoyed it. I got the written exam out of the way and uh, did pretty well on it. So, um, yeah. I would say it's very fortunate, I think, for those working towards written exams right now that online and virtual ground schools were already so established that it was a pretty seamless transition to studying that way for most students right now. It, it definitely was. Um, and there are, you know, there's several different online ground schools available. So um, they probably all have uh, some differences in their teaching style. So I'm sure I'm sure if uh, somebody was to, to do research, that they would find one that would work for them. Um, like I said, I found it uh, uh, quite easy and valuable. Um, the information was presented thoroughly and, and, you know, prepared me very well for the written exams. Now, as you mentioned, you've worked as a paramedic for the last 18 years. What does the day-to-day -day look like in your role? And I understand that that is a job where no two days, let alone two hours, are the same. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely a, an interesting career. I, I do enjoy it a lot, but you're right. It is different every day. Uh, in my current role, I'm a, a shift supervisor, so I am responsible for uh, looking after, in my service, uh, we have 10 ambulances on at any one time. So uh, I'm responsible for 20 paramedics um, throughout their shift. And in that shift, we can respond to any number of different types of calls from traumas to uh, you know general illnesses. Uh, lately, the last couple of years, we've been experiencing a lot of experiencing a lot of calls for mental health crises and uh, drug overdoses. It's become quite a, uh, an epidemic. And certainly the, the COVID-19 pandemic hasn't helped with that as well. So um, that's one of the challenges we're facing right now, in addition to the, the, the general challenges that COVID-19 presents in terms of safety of our paramedics, uh, PPE. Uh, initially, at the start of the pandemic, we had uh, you know, some challenges being able to find supplies of, of the proper PPE. So luckily we're past that. We've moved on to some other uh, options for personal protective equipment uh, that uh, provides greater safety for our paramedics. But, you know, everyday changes and uh, we're, we're getting new protocols and new ways to approach certain circumstances or uh, related to COVID-19 each and every day. So one of the, one of the benefits or one of the, one of the changes that we've seen with COVID-19 is we've, we've had uh, some um, changes in, in our programming. So we are now not just responding to 911 calls. We're, we're doing that, of course. But in addition to that, we're now um, running community paramedic programs, which is where we're sending uh, teams of specially trained paramedics out into the community. They see people in their homes with the goal of being able to provide uh, health care to them in the residences to hopefully uh, prevent them from needing to require the services of uh, the paramedic service and the hospital. So that's been quite successful and that's in partnership with, uh, with the local health teams and physicians. So we're, we're in many cases, we're the, the eyes and ears and hands of the physician and we're reporting to them and they're you know, giving their, their, their orders 
uh, for treatments and whatnot. So it, it's quite a, a great program um, that has come out of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and hopefully it'll continue as we, uh, as we recover from the pandemic as well. We're also spending uh, a, a lot of time with COVID-19 testing. We run a, a testing site and we also do have mobile paramedics who will go out into the community and do uh, swabbing and, and COVID-19 testing for people who can't get to the site. So uh, definitely there's a, a, a lot of different challenges, um, but we're, you know, we're seeing the, the paramedics and other healthcare workers really step up and, you know, it, it, it makes me proud to be part of it and to help lead that team. So, As a frontline and essential worker, I want to thank you for helping keep me safe over the last year or so. But with that, what suggestions or advice would you have to our listeners when it comes to COVID-19 right now? And I know that it changes all the time. It, it does change all the time. And it seems that uh, in many parts of Canada, things are improving. Um, in some, uh, some provinces, it, it, you know, they're still in a bit of a, an upswing of COVID cases. Uh, so basically, my suggestion is follow the public health guidelines. Um, you know, uh, currently, you know, we're being asked to wear masks and social distance. And uh, those are really important um, things to do in order to curb the spread of COVID-19. Um, if, uh, you know, I'm, I would certainly recommend anybody who is able to get their vaccination to do that. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough, I just had my second vaccine um, just a few days ago, actually, last Monday. So um, I'm pretty excited about that, to be honest. So if, uh, if that's something that, uh, that people are interested in doing and the option is there for them, I would highly recommend that, uh, you know, that, that's how we're going to come out of, out of the pandemic um, with uh, having as many people vaccinated as well as carrying on with the social distancing and other public health measures that, you know, that are recommended right now. So I know it's tough for people to do that. Um, you know, we all want to see our friends and go to the pub and go to the gym. Um, I do too. And, uh, you know, if, if we can keep at it just a little while longer, I think we'll get there soon. Now, with a job where every day, every hour is different, how do you feel that your role as a paramedic maybe influenced the way you approach challenges throughout flight training? Sure. So I, I think, uh, to be honest, I, I think they go, um, they're very complementary of each other, being a paramedic and being a pilot. Obviously, entirely different careers. However, some of the uh, ways that we approach things, I, I think, are similar. Um, you know, being a, a, a paramedic and, and a paramedic supervisor for the past uh, number of years, uh, for me, it, it, it certainly helped me to learn to be calm in stressful situations, um, you know, analyze the information I'm presented with and make decisions quickly. Uh, and I think those are all important. One thing that I think is similar is the use of checklists. Um, you know, we, we in, as paramedics, we don't call them checklists, but essentially we're using what we call medical directives to guide our, our treatment in certain uh, situations. So when we're presented with, you know, this specific situation, our treatment basically follows a checklist of, of that, that is our medical directive. Um, we apply it a little differently. We're not necessarily reading it out and calling out the answer, but it's, it's still our guide for, um, you know, the step-by-step -step to get through that particular situation. And I think that's, uh, that's similar in many ways um, and, and complementary between the two and, and help, helped me uh, transition to, you know, being the, the flight student again. Um, and then a, a bit of a, a small thing, 
Um, I know a lot of, or at least I think a lot of uh, new pilots and student pilots may be a little uncomfortable on the radio. Uh, you know, it's, it's new to them communicating mm -hmm. with uh, with uh, dispatch and other traffic. Um, for me, I, I, I'm on the radio all the time at work. And although the, the terminology may be different, um, I, I certainly felt a lot more comfortable getting back on the, the aircraft radio than, than, you know, if I didn't do that, perhaps. Now, I would have sort of seen the crossover between checklists and the idea of even crew resource management, maybe not calling it that specifically within medicine and paramedicine, but I would not have guessed uh, when it came to radio calls that that would be something that you do a bit more in your day-to-day. -day. Yeah, we're, we're, we're on the radio all the time. Um, and uh, as I said, you know, the, the terminology and the lingo is entirely different, but it's just a sense of familiarity with the you know, speaking on, on the radio to people that you, you don't see, uh, that, that definitely helps. Um, one thing that medicine has really picked up on from the aviation world is the concept of human factors mm -hmm. and looking to um, identify the causes of uh, medical errors and medication errors and, and using human factors as the, um, the reference point. Uh, and, and that came entirely from uh, the aviation industry. So it's that that's uh, probably one of the, the first major things I should have mentioned. With the 18 years in between your PPL flight test and your PPL written exam, you mentioned that you had gone away to university and also started a career, but what kept you motivated and ultimately drew you back to aviation? I, I think it was just that childhood love of flying. Um, had, uh, had things gone a little differently, had I not started university or uh, had I had a little better luck with the weather before uh, before I went off to university, I, I have no doubt that I would have become a pilot at that point and, and that would have taken me on that career path. I've always had that love of flying and, and um, as I mentioned earlier, my, I'm lucky enough, you know, my, my dad does have a Cessna, so I was able to go flying from time to time with him through the years, so that kind of uh, kept the interest going as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, you know, you keep, you keep hearing people say, you know what, follow your dreams and do what you love. And it, it's very easy, I think, for me to just continue on with my career. I do enjoy it. It's a, a, a great job. But, you know, kept listening to those people who were telling me to follow my dreams. And, you know, I got back into it initially just to get my private license. And then, you know, once I had that and, uh, you know, had the, the, the taste of flying again. Um, it just, I decided to continue from there. So I, I'm working on my commercial license. And in fact, I uh, expect I will be doing my uh, commercial uh, flight test within the next week or two. Oh, that's very um, exciting. It is very exciting. A little, little scary, a little nervous about it. But <laughs> um, and, and then you know what, I, I'm going to keep pushing on, I'm going to get my multi and multi engine instrument and um, see where it takes me. It's probably not the best time for a uh, career change into aviation, but um, I want to be prepared uh, so that if an opportunity does present itself, that, that I'm ready to, to jump at it. So. And for those that have been able to do so within the last 15 months or so, uh, being able to move forward with aviation, even with sort of smaller milestones that we would not necessarily have celebrated as much beforehand, I think this is for those that are available and able to, an interesting time to try and get ahead or at least 
ready themselves for whatever aviation will look like on the other end of this. It, it is. And, and, you know, one thing we're not doing is we're not getting behind everybody else right now. So for me, working a full-time job uh, where I can only fly on my days off and I, you know, work hard to, to rearrange my schedule and whatnot to, to accommodate the, the flights and studying and everything. Um, somebody who's maybe doing a part-time versus a full-time student is really not at a disadvantage right now because those full-time students mm-hmm. also, you know, they're, they're in the same position where they're, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to, hopefully some of them will be able to get a job soon. Um, but the, the, you know, if let's say there's a delay to the industry coming back of a, a year or two more, um, the people doing a part-time like myself, you know, we, we might have a bit of an opportunity to catch up. So it's uh I certainly don't want to say COVID nineteen's been a, bit, a good thing, but if if you if you're looking for the silver lining and things, this might be one of them for for pilots, especially who are are you know working on their licenses in a, a more part time capacity. You have your PPL. You're working towards your commercial, but you also have your float rating. I do. Uh, that's actually uh, it's been a lot of fun getting my my float rating um, again because of the fact that my dad has an airplane it's a float plane um it, it made it easy for me uh and i i fully recognize that i'm uh very lucky to have had that opportunity um but even more so i, w- I was able to spend and, and still do spend a lot of time with my dad that i probably wouldn't otherwise do if we didn't fly together so it's uh it's it's you know a benefit uh in, in a lot of different ways so um, the float the float rating was definitely challenging for me. Uh, I just came out of my PPL and we decided to jump in the float plane and learn how to fly that. So the flying of it is very much the same once you're in the air. It's it's uh, it's yeah. the takeoffs and landings and uh, uh, and all of the um, the work on the water that I that, you know it's it's definitely very challenging. So the, the Transport Canada requirements for the float rating are, it's only seven hours of uh, instruction, five hours dual and, and two hours solo. Um, in my opinion, seven hours is not enough to become competent at, uh, at handling a float plane, but uh, I'm sure there are people who, who do just fine with that uh, requirement. Um, so I would highly recommend anybody who has any interest in it to definitely look at it. it it's something entirely different uh there are schools out there where you can get your float rating um it uh it probably opens up some job opportunities that might not otherwise be there uh and it's just it it's it's a, it's a lot of fun to go from airport to airport and grab your lunch and whatnot but you know with a float plane you can take off and and fly up to some remote lake and go camping for the weekend and uh, you know, it, it just opens lots of experiences that I never had as a, you know, a land pilot. I have a similar experience in the fact that I got my float rating maybe within a month and a half of getting my PPL license. And I, by no means was I cocky, but I was confident. I felt mm-hmm. qualified and learning how to dock and taxi a float plane is humbling. Um, it's it not, sure is. It's not the... <laughs> It's not the most fun experience of being humbled by water and trying to just figure out even just how to correctly line up to uh, to dock the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a certain freedom that comes with float flying that you don't have with land planes. And I 
I wish everyone could do a float rating. I wish it was mandatory because I think it's just so much fun. It is. It's a, it's a ton of fun. I think one of the things I laughed at the most during my training was we went out pulled over in the middle of the lake. We we're practicing sailing and, um, my dad said, all right, now climb out and try to paddle the, the plane with the, the paddle that's under there. And I'm like, five minutes of that, I'm like, why do they even have a paddle on here? You, can, you can't do anything. So, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a good time. Um, definitely an experience that I, I'm very happy that I've been able to do. And um, the, uh, the plane actually goes back on floats in a week or two, and we'll be back out uh, hopping from lake to lake and enjoying the summer. So. That sounds like an absolutely rip-roaring way to spend a summer, especially yeah. doing it with your dad. Yeah, definitely. Now, for your commercial license and your commercial training, what has maybe been the most interesting aspect of this training for you? Um, sure. I, there, there's a few things that I kind of wanted to you know, talk about here. It, it's, um, I think the night rating uh, is probably, I don't know, it, it's probably the, the coolest part of the training for the CPL that I've done so far. And, and that's because uh, for me, I'm in Southern Ontario. My very first night flight, we went and did a city tour of Toronto and, you know, flew all around the downtown and got to see all the lights of the CN Tower. And it just kind of opened my eyes to that whole other uh, world, which is night. Um, so I, I think that's been really good. That's a, a great part of the uh, commercial training. But also for, you know, any private pilots out there who aren't looking at doing the commercial training, I'd recommend going out and getting your night rating as well. Uh, it just opens up again some, some other opportunities for, uh, for some great flying. I recently did my 300 nautical mile uh, cross country, um, which uh, I thought was a lot of fun. It's a lot different from the private uh, pilot license and long solo cross country in the sense that you're, you're probably a bit more comfortable uh you've got a lot more flying experience um maybe not quite as terrified if you're going to get to the right airport or not or when you do get there if you're going to do the right procedures for landing at an uncontrolled airport so it was a lot of fun I, I found i was able to sort of take it in and enjoy it you know see the scenery a little more um it, it was a great experience for sure uh and and then i think learning becoming more comfortable with the radio navigation aids um you know in ppl you, you touch on the vor but i wouldn't coming out of that i would never have said that i knew how to use it properly so it's been uh, it's been great um i i i, I don't know i kind of like the trigonometry and math around it and uh so maybe you know maybe i'm a bit of a geek that way but i've uh, i've enjoyed uh, i've enjoyed that aspect of it as well so now, what is the National Gay Pilots Association, and how did you become involved? So NGPA is an organization of uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender aviation professionals. It was formed in the United States, uh, I believe, 31 years ago, and has expanded throughout the rest of the world with uh, various chapters uh, here in Canada, uh, as well as the UK and in Europe. So the, the mission of the NGPA is to build support and unite the LGBTQ aviation community worldwide. Um, and they do a lot of great uh, things in, in that regard. So I first got involved only a few years ago. Um, and I joined uh, on the recommendation of a, a friend of mine. Uh, he and his wife um, were our friends with... Um, 
one of the the members who founded the Canadian chapter. Um, so they put me in touch, and I um, I, I just went onto the website and uh, signed up. Uh, I was looking for um, you know the the networking opportunities and, and to find other pilots um, like me, and haven't really looked back. I I, I think it's a great organization. Um, my first sort of foray into becoming involved was was just attending one of their annual events in Palm Springs. They have a uh, a conference as well as a very large, I believe it's, I don't want to say it's the largest, it might be the second largest um, career fair. Um, that's not the term they use, but that's basically what it is. They bring in all the major U.S. airlines, uh, the regionals, um, they're, they're all present there. And I believe the year that I was in Palm Springs, they had something like 850 prospective pilots looking for airline jobs uh, come and, and chat with the representatives. So um, that's one of the big things that they that they have been able to do. Um, they also have a very large scholarship program. Uh, and this coming year, um, the NGPA will be giving away $150,000 uh, US dollars in scholarships. Um, many of those scholarships are available to uh, Canadian uh, members of the organization as well. Some are U.S. specific and specific to certain being enrolled in colleges and whatnot in their aviation programs, but there are certainly a number of the scholarships that uh, Canadians are eligible for. I was lucky enough that I, I applied for a scholarship for my CPL and I was awarded that scholarship, so it, uh, it has certainly been a big financial help to me. Um, and, uh, you know, so I not just because of that, but I think that played a large role in me wanting to give back to the organization. And, and that's how I, I took on a bit, of, a, a bit of a bigger role than just being a, a member attending events. And within the NGPA Canada, you serve as the co-director. That's right. So uh, I'm new to the, the role. Um, the uh, uh, previous uh, leader of the Canadian chapter uh, has moved on to become one of the board members for NGPA. So that left uh, a need and a vacancy in Canada. Uh, so two of us came on back in late January, early February. Uh, so myself and uh, Ryan Ward, who is uh, a pilot at one of the major airlines in Canada, uh, we're working on the Canadian chapter now. So our immediate goals are finding out uh, what it is our members want, what we can provide uh, to increase value for their membership uh, and grow our membership here in Canada. Uh, we wanna find opportunities for some more Canadian specific content. So for example, the NGPA in, in the US uh, has a really great program where um, I believe it's monthly, they have representatives from some of the airlines come in and talk about um, their recruiting and their recovery from COVID. And um, we want to be able to bring that type of Canadian content to mm -hmm. our members as well. And we also want to be able to provide uh, support and mentorship to other LGBTQ pilots who may, uh, you know, may, may need that. They may need to connect with other members of, of the LGBT com community who are in aviation. And, uh, and that's, that's what we're here for. So um, obviously, June is Pride Month, so we do have a uh, online virtual 
Pride cele- celebration coming up on the uh, 25th of uh, June for our members. Um, obviously, it won't be the same as being in person and getting to uh, see everybody face to face, but uh, we are looking forward to that. I can speak from a women in aviation perspective of mentorship, resources, and just representation mattering. And I would know it will be the exact same for members of the LGBTQ plus community, wanting to see that representation, have those resources and mentorship within aviation as well. Uh, Yeah, so um, we're still experiencing uh, incidents of homophobia, transphobia in the cockpit, uh, in the schools, which um, may not be a matter of personal safety, but of flight safety, um, when the focus is supposed to be on operating the aircraft safely, somebody's attention may now be elsewhere uh, because of what may have just been said to them or, um, or whatnot. So um, we do have some research that shows that that is still a problem. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just, you know, looking, looking at ways that we can help our members and, um, and not just our members, anybody in the, in the LGBTQ plus community, uh, but specifically, obviously, in, in aviation. So, Now, how can our listeners become more involved with NGPA? In general, the uh, NGPA membership is through the United States organization, NGPA, NGPA.org is the website. Um, and you can learn an awful lot about uh, the NGPA on there. You can look at the various membership options. Uh, we do have um, memberships for uh, students, for families, um, for allies. So you don't have to be a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, we, uh, we highly value our allies and the support that we receive from them. So there are memberships available for, for anybody. Specifically for Canada, we would uh, recommend you find us on social media. We have a Facebook page, uh, Instagram, uh, and you can connect to us through there. When you register, if you want to become a member, you you won't specifically become a member of NGPA Canada. Uh, However, your membership with NGPA will be affiliated with the Canadian chapter. So we'll be be connected and uh, as the COVID-19 pandemic comes to an end and in-person gatherings are able to take place again we we do hope to 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 be able to get together at various places across the country uh get to know each other a little better and uh have that social and professional networking that uh, that is so important and it, it truly is so important um and with that is it one national chapter or uh i guess smaller more regional chapters so at this time, it is one national chapter. Uh, we do have um, uh, we have had some discussions about regional chapters if the demand is there. Uh, currently, our our membership is um, probably low to the point where regional chapters might not work. But uh, certainly, even as a national chapter, we would be looking to have regional uh, events and educational opportunities and and whatnot where. If they are in-person events, um, we would we would want to give everybody across the country opportunities to attend without having to fly three thousand miles. So um, uh, that you know the regional chapters may happen in the future, depending on uh, on membership numbers. Uh, but at this point, it is one national chapter. There is a also a um, uh, a group called Canadian Aviation Pride, uh, which is a um, 
an organization that was founded, I believe, before the NGPA Canada chapter, and they are active uh, across the country as well. And we work with them. In fact, our our um, upcoming virtual Pride event is uh, hosted uh, by both organizations. I am. I know some people that are involved with uh, Canadian Aviation Pride, and if NGPA and Canadian Aviation Pride are coming together, that is definitely not one to miss. We're, we're working on it. So last year, the virtual pride was um, hosted by both organizations as well. And so we're, we're doing it again this year. And we look forward to that partnership for sure. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? Uh, well, obviously, I've got to say my dad. Um, <laughs> he's definitely be a, been a huge supporter uh, every step along, uh, along my, my journey. Um, so we'll throw, we'll throw that shout out to him. Um, but I would also have to say uh, Chris Hadfield is a bit of a, um, you know, a personal hero to me. Uh, you know, he was a, a fighter pilot in the Royal Canadian Air Force and an astronaut. Um, and, and I kind of think that he really made being an astronaut cool in today's day and age. Um, you know, I, I, I always wanted to be an astronaut growing up and very few people get to do that. Uh, so I've been following him since he retired. Uh, he's got quite the social media presence. And, and I just find that he makes aviation and space and science so accessible to everybody mm -hmm. uh, through his social media presence. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I would, have to say, I would have to say Chris Hadfield's a, a bit of a you know, personal hero of mine. Never met him, uh, maybe someday. Um, and although a lot of what he talks about now is space versus you know aviation and airplanes specific it's all very related um and he uh he, he does really open up that world in, in a lot of ways that we probably never had a, a glimpse of before so i have to say he is a beloved canadian aviation figure and he does make stem and particularly particularly aerospace very accessible with his social media whether it's just photos from the international space station uh who can forget the classic redoing of uh space oddity yeah, uh, in exactly. space it just all comes together so lovely now what are some activities you enjoy outside of aviation uh i have several different hobbies um Although because I'm focusing so much on flying right now and, and finishing my commercial license, I haven't really had a, a chance to indulge in them much lately. Um, but uh, the, the biggest one is uh, music. I, I play bagpipes. Um, so it's uh, a, a lot of fun. It's a very, I, what I call a social instrument. It's, you know, we, we play at the Highland Games, uh, often in the beer tent. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a great, a great hobby for sure. Um, I play with a band. We're a, a civilian volunteer band attached to a military regiment. Um, so uh, it, it's a great experience and a great way, great way to give back um, and support uh, Canada and our you know Canadian forces. Um, unfortunately, with COVID nineteen, the band hasn't been together since probably February of last year. Um, but we keep in touch by email and whatnot, and uh, um, that's something. Uh, that, that's definitely a lot of fun. So if anybody wants to learn to play bagpipes, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a ton of fun. So aside from that, uh, I got a couple of dogs. So I spend a lot of time with them uh, out at the beach or hiking through the woods. Um, 
keeping them busy. They're they're ones get they're both kind of old. One's getting pretty old, but the other's still pretty active. So I got to keep him going. Um, I uh, big big history buff, and occasionally, when time permits, uh, you'll find me out on the golf course. But again, that's been uh, few and far between the last uh, last couple of years. So. Say so I'm going to have to jump back to the bagpipes. How does one <laughs> even find themselves learning that as an instrument? That is a really good question. Uh, so I didn't have anybody in my family who played. It was just a, an instrument that I enjoyed the sound of. Uh, so I went out when I was in university and tried to learn, tried to find out how, how one goes about learning to play. I quickly realized that during university was not the time to do that. Um, so once I did finish up, I, I went I did the one year university and then I went to college. And once I finished the paramedic program, um, I was working in uh, a smaller community in Northern Ontario or central Ontario. And um, there was a, someone who knew a bagpiper and someone who would teach. So I took a few lessons from that person and then moved back down into Southern Ontario and joined the local Legion band. Um, a lot of the bands will teach for free. The only requirement is you, you, uh, purchase um, uh, uh, your practice instruments called a practice chanter. It's hundred dollar investment um, to get started, and uh, and they they teach you for free. Uh, obviously, they would like you to stay on with their band and support the band once you are playing uh, at a level that you can can uh, join the band. But um, there are, there is a lot of opportunities for that. Uh, there's a whole competition circuit for pipe bands. Um, so if you you know, travel to Highland Games uh, through the summer. Um, you'll you'll see the the pipe band competitions. There's World Pipe Band Championships in Scotland, which I had a, an opportunity to see a few years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a, a ton of fun for sure. It definitely looks like a fun instrument. It is. <laughs> Maybe people wouldn't say that when they hear you just learning. It doesn't sound the greatest. But once you once you get to the point where you're pretty confident at it, then yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I should clarify: proficient bagpipes yes. sounds great. <laughs> that is that's a, a good way to put it. Now, what advice would you have for someone considering coming back to aviation after a hiatus? I I, I think it just takes a lot of hard work. Uh, it's it's hard to get back into. Um, so find find a flight school that works for you, find an instructor that works for you and, and, and who can work with your uh, schedule. Um, if, if you're still working full-time or even part-time, you know, you, you want to have that right connection with an instructor. If you find that you're with an instructor for a little bit and it's not working, ask for a different instructor. Don't, don't hesitate to do that. Um, you know, this is at the end of the day, it's, it's your money. Uh, you're giving them your business and you need to, you need to be in a situation that is right for you. Um, it's going to take a lot of a lot of hard work and a lot of focus. My time when I when I'm not at work, I'm usually either flying or studying or you know thinking about flying. So it, it is going to take up a lot of a lot of your time and and a lot of your energy. But anything worth doing is going to do that. So um, also try to get it done as efficiently as possible. You know, uh, an 18-year hiatus wasn't very efficient. Um, but even when you do get back into it, if you can fly two or three or four times a week, you know, I would recommend trying to do that versus once a week because when you come back a week later, you're just trying to play catch-up and getting comfortable with what you did the last time. So mm -hmm. your your progress might be a, a bit 
a bit slower uh, that way. So fly as much as you can. That's what I've been trying to do. And, and uh, it, it's really been working for me. So aside from that, I, I would suggest also trying to find opportunities to help pay for your, your, fly, your flying. As I mentioned, I was fortunate enough to re- receive a scholarship from the NGPA. Just to plug the NGPA again, they have $150,000 in scholarships available this year uh, to, to their members. But they're not the only organization that has scholarships. Uh, there are many scholarships that are available. Uh, you just need to go out and find them. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to list off all the organizations that that have them, but I would imagine a lot of the uh, major aviation groups uh, and communities will will have some scholarships available. So definitely look for those opportunities. And I mean, at the end of the day, like I said earlier, you know, if if flying is your dream, just keep working at it. Don't give up on that dream. Um, it's it's going to be hugely rewarding whether whether you you're looking to turn it into a career or or just your 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 hobby and your passion so yeah that, that would be my advice scholarships really can truly change your life with the i mean the financial benefit and help that comes with having a scholarship that can be put towards aviation it can truly make all the difference absolutely it is uh it is not cheap these days so any any uh funding that you're able to to find, you know, go go after it for sure. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your flying career? Sure. Um, I would I would say definitely getting my private pilot's license was a huge highlight. You know, as, as I've mentioned, uh, it it took me more than 18 years. Uh, uh, I got so close the first time, and then and then went off to school. Uh, so when I when I came back and I was able to actually finish it and we we landed after my flight test and the the examiner, um, you know, said congratulations you passed. It was like uh, just a a moment of elation. Like it it felt so good. And then it opened up all those other doors for the other things I've done, uh, like the float rating and 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 whatnot. So uh, I would say that was definitely the highlight of my aviation career so far. Um, but I hope that's not the highlight of my aviation career because I do plan to have a lot, you know, many more highlights in in the the future. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? So we can be found on Facebook. We have a Facebook group under NGPA Canada and also on Instagram. Um, It's, uh, you can search NGPA Canada or our username is NGPA underscore Canada and you can find us there. Um, you can also search for a hashtag on Instagram. It's hashtag NGPA everywhere, and you'll be connected to uh, all of the, uh, the social media that's shared by members across the world. We will be sure to link both the tag and hashtag in the episode description for our listeners. John Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Lauren. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, The Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.